Welcome. Welcome to the start of our new series here at Every Day. After spending time last term in Paul's letter to the Galatians in rooting ourselves in grace, we're now going to spend this year in John's Gospel. In the Gospel written by man, as we will see, who understood the grace of God. Let's start by actually reading the opening verses of John's Gospel. Let me read it for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to spend this year in this gospel. Today we're just going to do an introduction, and then from next week we'll start unpacking it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We'll probably spend about 60% of our sermon time in the gospel and we'll be following that up with our weekly devotion that comes out on a Monday morning and also discussing it in our life groups. I want to encourage you to get into those devotions. I want to encourage you, if you're not already, to connect with a life group. As we'll see in John's gospel, community matters. Dwelling together in the word of God matters. That's why we do devotions. That's why we have life groups. So in the midst of our very busy lives, we can constantly be calibrating ourselves around the truth of God's Word and the presence of God's Spirit. Today then, we're going to ask some kind of fundamental questions of this gospel. They're the questions you'll find in the opening pages of any Bible commentary. Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? But we also want to ask the so what question. As I've shared before, my wife Gwen is great at asking me the so what. Having listened to me preach, or someone said, that was great, Simon. She's an encourager, which is fabulous. But she's thinking, so what? How does that help me in, in my job? How does that help me in my friendships? How does that help me with my, with my mum, with my dad? And that's important to us. And sometimes we skip through these questions of who, when, and why, because we don't think they do have a so what, but they do. And actually knowing who wrote this gospel and why he wrote this gospel and when he wrote this gospel really helps us connect with this gospel. So let's start with who. Well, spoiler alert, John's gospel was written by, wait for it, John. Now there's a university education for you. But which John? There are numbers of Johns in the Bible. John the Baptist will be mentioned later in this very chapter. But we're actually talking about John, the disciple of Jesus. How do we know that? Well, we know it's not John the Baptist. We know he didn't, didn't write a gospel. How do we know it's John the disciple? Some people have suggested it's, it's another John. It's a kind of second century writer. Some call him John the Elder. How do we know it's John the disciple of Jesus? How do we know it's this man that we're, we're told about in Matthew's Gospel? It says this, 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. How do we know that this is the John who wrote the gospel? Well, one reason is the language. The language that this man uses is comparable. It's the sort of language that would be used by a man in the first century with his background. Similarly, his knowledge, what he is aware of, how he describes things, the words he uses, the intimate knowledge of Jesus. Some of the detail he gives us tells us this is somebody who was very, very close to Jesus. Also, the anonymity of the gospel. Now, what does that mean? It means this. In Paul's letters, as we saw in Galatians, Paul would say to the Galatians from Paul. In the letter itself, there was the name of the person who'd written the letter. But actually, in our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we don't have that. Well, why not? Well, because we didn't need it. The early church knew this Gospel had been written by John. Therefore, they, he didn't need to put his name on it. In fact, it's not until the late 1st, early 2nd century when the church agreed which Gospels should be included as Gospels that they then put names on them just to distinguish one from the other for 2nd generation, 3rd generation readers. So actually, the fact that John doesn't start his Gospel by saying, this is John's Gospel, is a sign that it is a Gospel written by someone very close to Jesus, by a disciple of Jesus. We also have reference to the disciple that Jesus loved. Now that's interesting because if that, we know that was John, but it's not given a name. And again, that suggests this uniqueness. It's written by the person who is described by that. He doesn't add his name to it. So we know, as much as we can know, and certainly the first century and second century church believed this gospel was written by John. Its earliest readers, the people most close to it being written, always saw it as John's gospel. We can say with confidence, this is John's gospel written by a disciple, the disciple of Jesus described by the other gospel writers. But... So what? Why does it matter? Surely Jesus is the important person in this gospel, and that's true. How does it help us to know it's written by the disciple of Jesus called John? Well, a number of issues. And really the major one is authenticity. Knowing that this gospel is written by John the disciple gives the gospel authenticity. It gives the gospel authenticity in two ways. Number one, we can trust what it says about Jesus. Eyewitness accounts, especially in the first century, were very trustworthy. So we can trust that what John says in this gospel about Jesus, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, is historically accurate, and therefore it carries authenticity. 
but it also carries authenticity because we can get to know the man who is writing this. We can get to know him through his other writings. John's Gospel is not the only New Testament book written by John. We also have his letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. We also have the book of Revelation. We have a whole body of material written by this man, and we can get to know him through his writings. But we can also get to know him by what's written about him. <clears throat> Let me give you some examples. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, that's when uh, Matthew is listing the disciples, he gave them the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. That's Mark three seventeen. Or they like to fight. This is Luke nine forty nine. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop them because he's not one of us. Or Luke nine fifty four. Uh, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Mark 10, 35 to 37. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. Or Matthew 20, 21, recounting the same thing. The mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. She got down on her knees to ask something of him. He said to her, what do you want? She said, say that my two sons may sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, when you are a king. What are we learning about John in these verses? He's got some anger issues. He's a son of thunder. When he sees somebody doing something he doesn't like, his, his immediate response is, shall we call down fire on them? He's a bit insecure. Oh, someone over there is doing something and it hasn't got our name on it. Oh, Jesus, tell them to stop so, that, so what we're doing is better. He's, he's a bit insecure. He's, he's a bit proud. Oh, Oh, I'm sure I'm the most important. Can I sit at your right hand? He's also a bit weak. You know, Matthew doesn't pull, pull any punches. He has to ask his mother to go and ask Jesus for a special place in the kingdom. He's a bit proud. He's a bit weak. He's a bit insecure. He gets a bit angry. Sound like anyone you know? Uh, sounds a little bit like me. Sounds a little bit like you. See, it's important to know who wrote this gospel because you discover this is somebody just like us working out the things that we're working out. Working out character issues and insecurities and challenges. Working those out in community, feeling a bit insecure, trying to get their own way. This is an ordinary man just like us, but transformed by his relationship with Jesus. I'm so looking forward to listening to this man over the coming weeks because I can already relate to him. He's fallible. He's not super spiritual. He's just telling it like it is in the realities of life. And that's so helpful. That's why it matters 
to know who wrote this gospel. So when did he write it? Well, we know he wrote it late in terms of the gospels. We know that John's gospel is the last gospel that was written. Depending on who you read, some people date it as the last gospel but early, AD 65. Some people date it as the last gospel but a bit later, about AD 85. We don't know exactly. For those of you who want to dig into it a bit more, it depends on whether you think this gospel is written before Jerusalem is destroyed by the Romans, which was AD 70, or after. Some people think that because John doesn't mention it, it must have been written before, so they lean towards a 65 date. Some people think it wasn't his, his intention, he didn't need to, because everybody knew it had happened, and therefore they lean to a late date. It doesn't really matter. What does matter to us is that it was the last one that was written. It explains a number of things about the gospel. Firstly, if John's gospel was written last, which it was, that's why he doesn't worry about birth narratives. You don't get anything about shepherds or wise men or Mary and Joseph at the stable. Because John was writing with an awareness of Matthew's gospel and of Luke's gospel. And they've covered that. Also, John's gospel is not always chronological, which is hard for us to cope with because when we read through it, we kind of expect the the next page to follow on from the previous page. But there are times when John doesn't do that. Again, he had Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel in his hand or in his awareness, and they had done that. They had given us a chronological account of the life of Jesus. So John doesn't include certain things we might expect him to and doesn't always do things in the order we would expect him to. Which is why sometimes in reading John's gospel, an event in the gospel will appear and you'll think, oh, I thought that happened later or I thought that happened earlier. It's just John's style because he's writing last. But again, why does any of that matter? Why does it matter when this gospel was written? Well, it matters because having discovered this man is a real man just like us, when you realise when he wrote his letter, you realise that he's writing it in the reality of life. He's writing this gospel after Acts chapter 12. What do we read there? We read this. It was about that time King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he seized Peter also. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial and execute him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. John is writing his gospel after this event. 
after a time when his brother, probably his older brother, which is why he's named first, has been executed for being a Christian. Now, that, that's tough to cope with, isn't it? What's more, Peter, arrested at a very similar time, is miraculously set free. Now, it says here that the disciples and the believers were praying for Peter. I think they probably prayed for James. John may well have been in both prayer meetings. They've prayed for James, and James has been killed. They've prayed for Peter, and Peter's been released. Sometimes, see, we think the people who wrote the scriptures don't go through the things that we go through. But they do. And John did. And knowing that John wrote his gospel after these events is incredibly helpful. Because when we read the pages of this gospel, we can't say, oh, it's all right for him. He doesn't know what we feel. He doesn't know what we're going through. Don't you know how tough it is right now in my life? It was tough for John. His brother had been executed. His friend had been set free. He prayed the same prayer for both. And God had answered one and seemingly not answered the other. He had to cope with that. And in coping with that, he still writes a gospel. He still trusts God. How helpful that is to us. What's more, he's not only gone through personal tragedy, he's gone through persecution. It says this in Revelation 1, 9 and 10, which John also wrote, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. Now John's telling us two things here in Revelation. He's telling us that he has been exiled and he's been exiled because of persecution. Why does it matter when John wrote this gospel? It matters because he's not writing it in a lovely, comfortable study with reference books around him and uh, uh, popping down to the kitchen every now and again to make a nice cup of tea. You can tell how I prepare, can't you? Um, No, he's struggled through personal tragedy, through persecution, through being separated from everybody he loves in exile. He understands. He is just like us in his character and he's going through the things that we're going through. Uncertainty, upheaval, persecution, personal loss, working out theologically why does God answer some prayers and not others. He's working all this out. But reminding us that God is eternal. How does he start his gospel? In the beginning was the Word. A man just like us, going through all the things that we're going through, pulls us back to the eternity of God, the steadfastness of God. So finally, why is John writing this gospel? Well, John very helpfully tells us in chapter 20. We read this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why is John reading this gospel? 
writing this gospel story. He's writing it because he wants us to know who Jesus is. He is concerned with what Jesus did. He does give us some amazing encounters with Jesus. It's in John's gospel that we have the amazing I am passages. It's in John's gospel we have encounters between Jesus and John the Baptist and Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery and Lazarus and Mary in her perfume. We have these amazing encounters in John's gospel. But the reason they're there is that John wants us to know afresh who is Jesus. What is the identity of this man? Why we can believe in him. Why it's so important that we believe in him and how that shapes our lives. He wants us to know the intimacy that God desires with us. That's one of the reasons that John includes the I am passages. That's one of the reasons John includes these one-to-one conversations. There are more one-to-one conversations in John's gospel between Jesus and individuals than any of the other gospels because John's saying it's about your relationship with Jesus. He speaks about community, he's passionate about community, but he also wants every one of his readers to know your identity is in Christ. And you understand your identity in Christ by understanding the identity of Christ. That's why he is writing his gospel. And what's more, he writes it in this context of incarnation. We'll unpack this more as the weeks go by, but just a few moments now, just to look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. See, we've said it matters to us to know who wrote this gospel and when they wrote this gospel because it reminds us this was a real person, flesh and blood, going through the stuff that we are going through. But John is also saying this to us. God, who is eternal, became flesh and blood. God, who is eternal, became a man, dwelt among us, became flesh. Why? So that we would be able to go, God knows what we're going through. God knows what it is to go through the pain and the trauma and the separation and the disappointment and the joy and the laughter that we go through because God is so desperate for a relationship with us. And he makes a way for that relationship by becoming flesh. See, by the time John is writing his gospel, there was this tendency to spiritualize the gospel. Various heresies were appearing that were saying, oh no, Jesus wasn't fully man. And John is realizing this is so important that we remember Jesus was fully man, fully God and fully man. Because if Jesus was not fully man, how can God understand what we go through? And yet God does understand. And it's not just that God steps down, it's that in stepping down, God lifts us up. He connects us again with God as we are created to be. This is why this gospel matters. Because it's incarnational. And finally, 
It also matters because it reminds us we are called to be incarnational. That our faith is not primarily about a platform or a pew on a Sunday. It's not even primarily about opening the Bible in the morning or gathering in a life group. No, our faith is to be worked out in the realities of life. The gospel was preached by God becoming flesh and working out the gospel in the realities of life. And we are called to do the same. We are called to be the presence of God in our work, in our family, in our street, in our school, in our college. It's about being incarnational in the world. Our relationship with God is meant to transform us as it did John's. But it's also meant to transform our society as we step out into the world. We may not be of the world anymore, but we are meant to be in the world. John had no time for little groups being separated. He'd been separated against his will. He's desperate for the church to get out there, to be incarnational in their communities. And that is what God is calling us to do afresh in 2022, to be incarnational, to know that the word has become flesh, that it's become flesh so we might have a relationship with God, but also that we might be in the world and bring the presence of God wherever we are. I'm so looking forward to this adventure with John and with you. Let's go for it together this year. Let's learn what it means to be close to God, to be close to one another, but also to see our nations transformed, our neighbourhoods transformed, our workplaces transformed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you it is totally inspired by your spirit, but has been brought to it by people just like us so that it can be worked out by people just like us. Would you enable us and equip us and empower us to do all you're calling us to do this year, but also to know the intimacy of relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.